Hello, bonjour, everyone, and welcome to the July 2023 episode 20 of Follow the Light Photography Podcast, coming to you from the Fraser Valley, about an hour east of Vancouver, British Columbia. And I'm your host, Bob St. Cyr. It's been a while since our last check-in, so it's good to be back with you all. As usual, I will be posting select images on the Facebook page that correspond to this podcast. Well, here we go. My two bits worth. Infrared photography. At the very start here, I want to point out that these are results from my own experiences and others may have different results, so I make no claims or promises towards anyone else's outcomes. My introduction to black and white infrared photography began in the early 2000s, even though I knew of it much sooner. It was whilst I was a member of the Professional Photographers of Canada, the BC region, or the PPOBC for short. I had noticed that the PPOBC newsletter contained the BC president's photo, and each issue, a different member photographer was credited with the portrait image. This is something I decided to participate in to try and build some awareness of my work amongst the membership. Thankfully, the president agreed to allow me to make his portrait for the provincial newsletter. However, I did not want to make a germane portrait. I wanted to do something a little more unique, and this is where the idea to make an infrared black and white image was born. So, I got myself some Kodak HIE in the 135 format and a number 25 red filter to complete the shoot. We set up a plein air photographic session at a park, and I was obviously pleased when I saw the image used in the newsletter. What surprised me even more, however, was that it was used in more than one issue. From what I had experienced, one photographer's image per issue. But this wasn't the case with my infrared image. I guess it can be rewarding sometimes to think outside the box. I was encouraged to try more of this black and white infrared photography. Kodak HIE was not the easiest film to procure, but I was able to find some Mako IR820, and then after that disappeared some F-Key IR820, at least for a while. Working with the Mako, I made careful notes as to my ISO and aperture and shutter speeds. With IR film, as with many things in photography, I find the more things I can keep consistent or constant, the easier it is to do something, and the better my chances for success. Because exact focusing of the infrared portion of the electromagnetic spectrum is not quite the same as visual light, you can rely on those little red focusing dots on older lenses. But if the lens does not have the mark, I focus and rely on my long depth of field setting, which is why when working with infrared film, I usually set the aperture to f22 or 16 and leave it there. The one thing I tend to adjust then is the shutter speed, with the camera firmly mounted on a tripod and a cable release for the shutter. After a little experimentation, I have a pretty good idea of what exposure settings work best for any given A. Lighting condition, B. Infrared film type, and C. The filter I'm using, such as a Koken 007, which if I'm not mistaken is equivalent to a Kodak Rattan 89B. I also use a Zomi IR screw-in filter for my TLR camera. I find infrared photography a little more convenient with my TLR 
than an SLR, simply because the viewing lens on the TLR is never blacked out or covered by the opaque filtration. Currently, I've just tested the Washi Z-Emotion in 135 format and found it works very well with a 5 and 6 stop exposure adjustment. For example, Washi Z is an ISO 400 speed film, so I set the ISO dial down to 50 for a 3 stop adjustment. Next, I take a meter reading of my subject without the Koken 007 filter in place through my Nikon F2 with the 24mm Nikkor lens. If the meter reads F22 at 1/30th of a second, for instance, I would lower the shutter speed by 2 and 3 stops for a total of 5 and 6 stops from box speed and make my exposure at F22 at 1/15th and 1/8th of a second. I like to do a bit of bracketing with infrared film until I'm quite confident in achieving consistent results so it may take a few rolls of film for this to happen. The varying of exposures also gives one a bit more choice without having to absolutely rely on post-processing. But I am glad I took my time in the beginning to record exposure notes and that I stuck with the infrared emotions because familiarity with this type of film also requires understanding the types of scenery best conducive to its unique results. Without getting into a science thesis, the chlorophyll in deciduous vegetation works much better than that of coniferous. But there are probably many online sources one could reference for a more technical description, which this is not intended to be. I would have to say that my current choice for an infrared black and white emulsion is the Roly IR in 120 format. It is as easy to work with as the Washi Z and requires a 4 or 5 stop adjustment. I process the film as I would any other with the specific times of the given film and again follow a consistently developed film processing routine. Now working with EIR, that is ectochrome infrared or aerochrome color infrared film, is even easier than black and white infrared as it doesn't require any special focusing adjustments and the filter can be seen and metered through as it is simply a number 8 or a number 12 yellow for the infrared effect. Orange filtration can also work, but I have had good results with yellow filtration. The only obstacle to color infrared film is that it is not made anymore, and the few rolls left out there are extremely overpriced. Anyway, black and white is still a viable option, and I hope to continue using it to see, in parentheses, the world in a slightly different way as I continue to follow the light. So that's it in a nutshell, a little bit of my experiences of working with infrared. Now we're going to turn our attention to looking at working with a new camera to me, the Canon TX. Quite recently, I've had the pleasure of working with a new to me camera, a Canon TX. And uh, from what I've been able to learn, it was produced by Canon between 1975 and 1979. And it was a, um, how would I say that, a lower version of the Canon FTB, I guess is how some people look at it. So there's the FTB and then this would be a lower grade camera from that. What I like about the TX is its simplicity. It does take a battery in the side 
but that's only to run a light meter. And I love the light meter in the TX, which is, reminds me, it's, I think it's very similar to the one in the FTB. It's a needle that you match to a little circle. And I really like that kind of meter. It's so simple and it's, it's um, instant, like you just know right away. Uh, diodes are nice, um, readouts are nice, uh, but I, I still think that having that needle in the little circle is one of the best forms of uh, presenting a light meter in an SLR camera. So I went out uh, to the Hayward Reservoir Trail the other day, that would be Canada Day, the 1st of July, and had a wonderful time. Out there it was somewhat overcast but the sun would come out a bit once in a while and because I was in forest it remained fairly cool for me while I was out while I was doing that whereas uh, it would be very very hot otherwise. So I enjoyed that very much that morning getting out uh, with the TX and I had Ilford FP4 that's just FP4 uh, expiration date, uh, process before date of 1980. So it was an older vintage and I wanted to finish up the roll. And then I also brought along the Mamiya C330 Professional S camera as well to see if there was anything worth making a medium format image with that. I like to roll that way. I like to go out with my large format or my medium format as my primary uh, camera gear. And then I might carry a 35 with me. Now, since I'm also working on the Frugal Film project for 2023 here, the TX was the camera to use because it didn't cost me anything. So it fit the frugal aspect quite well. So uh, out with that and uh, capturing some pictures from nature. And again, I just love being out. I'm glad that I have access to, you know, the wilderness, not too far from the city here. Uh, you can be out in wilderness in about you know, between 40 minutes to an hour. So I really like that, uh, that aspect. And now that summer's into full swing, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting out more, uh, revisiting sites and seeing if there's anything new I can reinterpret in those sites. And I think that's the nice thing about being able to return to a site over and over again, is that through the different seasons, you get to see how the landscape changes. And I really think that's an important thing. I first realized that, the advantage of that, when I visited uh, the area around Mount Fuji in Japan. And I was only there like for a very short time, almost like a snapshot. I had to take what I could get, right? I couldn't uh, predict the weather. I couldn't make the weather be the way I wanted it to be because I was only going to be there for a short time. I had to take what I could get. And that's the, the downside of not being able to spend a good chunk of time in an area where you want to make some photographs. And Mount Fuji is one of those that I'd really like to make some photographs. So I did the best I could with what I had at the time and with the time that I had to be there. Now, of course, you can look at postcards, you can look online, and you can find fabulous, just fabulous images of Mount Fuji especially in the spring when you see the sakura in the midground or, or in the foreground and then in the background is, is Mount Fuji without being obscured from clouds. The one shot that I remember taking was from the Shinkansen. There was a bit of cloud on the very top, so I was hoping to capture it without any cloud. And I try to do the same thing when I'm out 
uh, photographing in, in Jasper National Park here in Canada, where I'm trying to capture Mount Robson without any clouds obscuring the mountain at all. And that as well is challenging when you don't have a lot of time to visit a site, but you want to get certain images and uh, you, it's, it's really, really challenging. So we take what we can get and uh, at least we have some record and we made an attempt and you know it's always nice if you have another opportunity to return to a site and try it again so that's the one thing i enjoy about this area here in the uh, the lower mainland near vancouver british columbia here in canada is that there there is an opportunity to revisit sites throughout different seasons different times of the year and i find that that really has enriched my portfolio of specific specific scenes that I want. For example, La Calouette, or if I want to capture Brattleville Falls, um, these, these kind of subjects, um, I have the, the luxury, if you will, of being able to visit them more often because I live in the vicinity, I live nearby. Our challenge is, is when we're visiting places, how to capture a, a, an image that we'll be happy with. And perhaps it's to go without the expectations from the images you've seen on postcards or on internet postings. Perhaps it's to go without those expectations and just take it for what it is. At that time, at that place where you were with your gear and your film, and that's the image you captured. And it's going to be different than, say, the photographers who have the opportunity to be there more often. So in that respect, you know, each image is going to be different. Each photographer is going to be different. And, and uh, who knows, your image, uh, it's not the postcard image that we all expect or we've all seen many, many times. But it's unique because it's your image made by you at a specific place at a specific time. And so I think there's something to be said for that, always looking for that, that Ansel Adam moment, so to speak. So capturing images that reflect what we're doing at a specific time and place, I think are, are just as important. And perhaps even rarer because they're, they're not the postcard images. They're not the, the poster images. So that makes them even perhaps even more valuable because they're so rare. So maybe there's an argument to be made for that as well. Anyway, I've rambled on long enough and I hope you guys have a great month and uh, end forward. Just take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now.